Well, good morning. It is great to be back with you all this morning. Uh, so I've talked about this before. Um, growing up, I loved basketball. Uh, really, if you would have asked me up until about my freshman year, I would have told you when you asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? I'd have said, without hesitation, I'm going to the NBA. And then freshman year, I kind of wisened up, realized that's definitely not in my future. But I grew up going to a small private school, and we actually had, surprisingly, a good basketball team. There were only seven of us on the team, so we were really well-conditioned, and we actually were relatively good. Going from a team of seven, so like we actually, our claim to fame, I guess, would be that we beat Pittsburgh High School, a 5A school, and we were negative A. And so, I mean, like, that was, it, it hit us. We were like, wow, we just beat them like David and Goliath. Here we go. We are this tiny school, and we took down the giant. And, and we, we just were really good. We never won anything major. We always lost that first game. So throw being good out the window whenever it came to tournaments. But I, I say this because, like, we had scores on our team. I mean, of our starting five, we pretty much anybody on that team could have taken over a game at any point. But there were times where I realized that later on in my high school career, it's like, hey, you know what? Not everybody needs to score the ball. Like, I decided I'm going to do what I could to be a passer and a rebounder. And really, like I was a San Antonio Spurs fan and Tim Duncan was known as the big fundamental, I wanted to be the little fundamental. It was like, I'm going to do my best to be able to play. Also, I say this because our coach yelled at us if you missed a shot, and I don't respond well to being yelled at. And so it was like, you know what? I'm just not going to shoot, but it's not therapy session for me right now. So um, we'll continue on. And the, the whole point behind this is we had a great team, but imagine if everybody shot the ball. If, if every time down the court, whoever had the ball just said, you know what, I want to be in the spotlight, I'm going to shoot the ball. And then next time down, somebody else had the ball and they're like, I'm not passing, I'm not rebounding, I'm not doing anything, I'm just going to shoot the ball. You had everybody that was not working cohesively. It would not be a good team. The thing that actually made us actually gel is that we saw areas and we filled those gaps in the team and we meshed really well. So I, I, I open up with that because I'm hoping some scout will find me and I could go pro finally. Not really. I open up with that because I see a similarity in the church where to be a cohesive unit, to, to be the church that God is calling us to be, it takes everybody. And it doesn't take everybody preaching a sermon. Obviously, we have great men who are willing to step up and fill in when I'm not here. And it doesn't take everybody teaching Sunday school classes. What it does is it takes everybody using the gifts that God has given you to serve one another. Because what we've seen throughout the Bible, and I've used a lot of them, is there are a lot of different analogies for the church. And the reality is, Every single analogy falls short somewhere. So we've, we've heard of analogies of like the church being the army. You know, you go to Sunday school and you sing the song, I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. And so it's like the church is the army of God. But an army goes on the offensive. 
And then you hear also about the church is a hospital for broken people. And it's like that's somewhat true, but that falls apart. You've heard I just said that the church is a team, but that doesn't fully encompass what the church is. You have the church is a family. It is that. The church is the body of Christ. Paul tells us that. But it is not all of these things individually. And so what we're looking at today is being the church and actually fulfilling this mission that God calls us to live on. Because we saw in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, the mission that every single one of us is called to be a part of when we give our life to Christ. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the commands that I have given you. And then he says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And so that's the mission that we're all called on. And then last week, we looked at Luke chapter 15, verse 7, where we see the heart of this mission, where Jesus says that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who have no need of repentance. And so we've seen the mission We've seen the heart that we're supposed to have, seeing lost people come to find Jesus. And so today we're going to see how we are called to execute this mission. And it's a two-part plan. And so today we're going to look at the collective plan, this being the body. And then we'll wrap it up next week with the individual plan because there is a personal role that each one of us has to play. But it's all part of this bigger collective plan. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. And so I'm going to ask if you will please stand as we read our text this morning. And then we'll open up in a word of prayer. So Paul is writing to us and he says that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Father God, we just come before you this morning, and God, we need you here and now. God, may we just find our total dependence on you, and God, as you speak to us, may these words that are about to be spoken be your words, and God, may they fall on hearts that are open to receive them so that we can just be who you are calling us to be. God, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. And so we see that Paul is writing here, and we did a series over the book of Ephesians earlier this year. He's writing to the church. And so what he's writing is to the body of believers, specifically located in Ephesus, but he's also writing to individuals. It's, it's a, um, like a, a dual meaning. It means the collective body, but we apply it to ourselves individually. And so for the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul has been hammering the gospel of Jesus. 
I mean, through the first three chapters, Paul is telling us our identity. He is saying that because of Jesus, you are chosen, you are adopted, you are redeemed, you are sealed, you are set apart, you are made alive, you are all these things. And in the first three chapters, 17 times, you see this, these two words that are repeated. You see 17 times in him or through him or in Jesus or through Jesus. It's like Paul is saying, this is who you are, but it's only because of Jesus. That's, that's pretty much what the gospel is telling us is that we were dead, but now we're made alive in Christ. In him, we have been predestined to be adopted as sons through Jesus. In him, we have redemption for our sins, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And so he's really hammering in these first three chapters. This is who you are. We've covered that, that it's all because of Jesus, that who we are has nothing to do with us. It has absolutely nothing to do with my efforts, my abilities. It has everything to do with who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And then we just receive that in faith. And so Paul is hitting on that. And then he, he makes this transition in Ephesians chapter 4, where then he starts having the, the rubber meet the road. And he starts telling us, he says in verse 7, Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so Paul is going through and he's saying, this is who you are. This is your identity. And then he transitions and he says, and God gave you gifts. And it's all because of the measure of what God gave you. So if it is preaching, it's because Jesus. If it is serving, it's because Jesus. If it's compassion, it's because of Jesus. He's saying everything that we have is because of Jesus. The church exists because of Jesus. We are part of the church because of Jesus. And we have gifts from Jesus that we are to use to serve one another. Earlier, we talked about these analogies of the church, like um, it's the army, it's the hospital. This is what I came up with to combine all of those, and it's still gonna fall short if you really wanna pick holes in it. It says, the church is the body of Christ, consisting of brothers and sisters adopted into a family who care for the broken, work alongside one another in unity, and they seek to carry out the mission of God. You know what is not mentioned in that? Individuality. There is not, it's my faith. I don't have to share it with anybody. It's gonna be my life, and I'm not in this thing called community. There is none of that. I don't need the church. It'd be like, uh, again, another analogy that's gonna fall short, but the best I can come up with. It would be like if you married somebody who already has other kids, and when you marry them, you're like, I want you, but can we please get rid of your kids? That would be what you're saying to God when you come to him and say, God, you know what? I want you. I really don't want your kids. I don't want the church. That's, that's, you're not going to find that anywhere. It's the Bible telling us that we are part of this collective unit called the church. That God works through and he has given each one of us gifts to serve the body. 
Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says there are a variety of gifts, but there's the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Then he says, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, as each of you has received a gift, which we've already been told, God has given each one of us gifts to use. And Peter says, as each one of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. But not only did God give us gifts, he gave us apostles, he gave us prophets, he gave us evangelists. It says that in verse 11. That God has given us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the preachers and teachers. So he has given us these to help build us up. He's given us these to use as the foundation for our faith. Because that's what the word of God is built on. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 tells us that. It says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Then he says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And then he tells us in first or in 2 Timothy 3.16 that we have the apostles, we have the prophets, we have the word of God to teach us. Because he says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man, and I believe it'd be fair to say, the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So God has given us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the preachers, the teachers, the word of God to build his church. Where Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 16, he says, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. And we saw that the mission of the church. How are the gates of hell not going to prevail? Because the church is going to go on mission. To go and make disciples. To go and set the captives free. To go and... Uh, Make disciples, baptizing and teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded. We are called to live on this mission collectively. It's the work of the church. Because Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 4. He says that we have the apostles, prophets, evangelists. We have the preacher, teachers. We have all of that to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ. Did you catch that? All of these things are to equip the saints. So it's, it's to equip. We have the word of God. We have the preaching. We have, we have the, what this thing that God has called the church is here to equip, to build up, to, to arm everybody with what you need to fulfill the ministry. Because notice it says to equip the saints. That's you. That's me. That's anybody who has placed their faith in Christ. So we have these things to equip the saints for what? To live an individualistic life? To, to keep it all for yourself? 
It says, no, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Paul's telling us that we are here, that the church exists to build one another up, to equip one another for ministry, to go out and live lives on mission. The church is where you come to get ready to go and live in the world, to be lights in darkness, as Jesus says. You're a city on a hill. It cannot be hidden. You don't light a lamp and put it under a bushel. No, you put it on its stand so that it may give light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We are that light on a hill. That we are to go and be seen in the world. Because there's this kind of, these, these two differing views about the church. And, and they're this. One is, the church is here to be evangelistic. That's the mission of the church. Well, Matthew 28, 19 says that. Go and make disciples. So we are called to be evangelistic. The problem that a lot of people have with that is it's like, who cares about who's in the seat? We're going and bringing in people. So we're going to start playing rap music. Don't worry, we're not doing that. But we're going we're gonna to make it seem more like a bar scene than church. We're going to lose the reverence. We're going to be seeker-friendly churches. That is the mission of the church, to be evangelistic. And you look at Luke chapter 15, and the Bible says that. There is more rejoicing in heaven over one lost sinner who repents than over 99 righteous. So it's like I see where they're coming from. Then you have the other side where they say the church is to build up each other, where we are here to gather and strengthen one another. It's about discipleship. Who cares about the people out there? It's about the ones who are here. We come and we gather. It's about discipleship. And it's like, well, I see that. Make disciples. Build one another up. That we equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So it's like I see both of them. I disagree. I'll tell you what I believe, it's both. I think that the church is here to build one another up, to equip the saints, so there's the discipleship, for the work of ministry, evangelism. We are here. If we just worry about our own people here, we'll be dead when the youngest one of us dies. This church will cease to exist. We have to be drawing people in to the family of God. But if we only care about bringing people in, we'll water down doctrine, we'll water down a whole lot of things, and we'll make it about how can we get people to come, and it's only about entertainment. I see both fears. I have the same fears. And it's about being both, being true to the Word of God. And the Word of God says that we have this to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that God has commanded. And that we rejoice when one lost sinner finds repentance and comes to find Jesus than over 99 who just continue to gather. It is both, if you ask me. And I find that in God's word. But here's the thing. We work together. Again, it's collective. That where one person is weak 
It's like, oh my goodness, you know what? My strength is not going out and having a conversation with a random person, but you get me somebody that I know and I can talk to them and I can disciple them. Great. We have people who have a passion to go and talk to people, but we need people who have a passion to build others up and walk alongside people. We have people, my passion is to stand up here and speak God's truth. But we have other people who are like, don't put me in front of people. Let me do the behind the scenes. And without you, we'd crumble. So we need people to be filling these holes. We need people to use your gifts, as Peter says, to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. But here's the thing that we have to understand again, and I've preached on it over and over. The church is not this building. The church is not just this gathering. If you read through the New Testament where the church is starting, you do not see a physical building. You do not see just one time where it's like, hey, you know what? I go to church. They say we are the church. Paul says you are the body of Christ. It's what you make up. This building can disappear. The church will remain. I mean, the fire of earth could devour this building. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So this church could, this body, not body, this building could disappear. God's church will remain. And so we have to understand that. Uh, We get a great example of the church in Acts chapter 2. It's just started in May and people are on fire. Jesus just raised from the dead and they are on fire for God and they're active. It says in Acts chapter two, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who were together, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, they didn't say it's what I do Sunday. It says day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. The church wasn't stagnant. The church wasn't like, you know what, we're going to meet here and we expect everybody else to come to us. Notice the church was visible. It says the people saw what they were doing because they had favor with all people. That's what Jesus says. You're the light of the world. How do you be the light of the world? By being visible in the presence of people where they are. Paul, he kind of puts it this way in Romans chapter 10. He puts it in the question form. He says in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Paul's saying that in the question form. If he were to say it in a imperative in a commanding form he would say god is sending you out to preach so that the world will hear and can believe and therefore call on jesus and be saved that's what paul's saying 
How are they going to believe if they don't hear? Good question. But how will they hear unless somebody speaks to them? Good question. And how will they speak unless they're sent? You know the one thing that holds all of this up? Because Jesus says that if we go and speak, they will hear and they will believe and they will call and they will be saved. You know the thing that kind of tumbles that entire thing? It's like Django, the one piece you pull out and the whole thing crumbles? Not going. Jesus says if you proclaim, he says in Isaiah, my word will not return void. And so if you speak God's truth, they will hear. Now, obviously, not everybody responds. But they have a way better chance of responding if we go. If we go, and Jesus is saying, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. He's saying, go and make disciples. That's what it says in Matthew chapter 28. Go. That I, I, I think, honestly, that American culture, I've been reading this book even called uh, Helping Without Hurting. But it talks about the American view of missions. Because we have this view in missions of, I, I've gone on mission trips. And it's like, you know what, I'm going to go overseas. Or I'm going to go to the inner city. I have to go somewhere else. And that is how I do a mission trip. The actual definition that I found on a mission trip is it would entail a person of the Christian faith moving to another part of the world to spread their faith through good deeds. That's from missiondirect.org. That's a mission trip. Yes, but I disagree with it. Because you are called to live lives on mission. You are a missionary. Every single day that you wake up, Paul says you are ambassadors for Christ. You are called to go into the mission field because you're not always here at church, at this gathering of the church. See, I got to catch myself even. You're not always here among believers. When you go to the world, you are going on mission. That every day, every Sunday at 1145, roughly, this church sends out missionaries to do a week-long mission trip in your community because Jesus has commanded us, go and make disciples. And right before that, in verse 18, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's how I'm able to say, go. If you got an issue with it, take it up with Jesus because it is his command to the body to go into the mission field, into your community, your workplace, and make disciples, teaching them and baptizing them. And the thing is, he says, you are not alone. Verse 20 of Matthew 28, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. He goes with you. But again, we're talking right now about not even just Jesus going with you, which is good enough in itself. But he says, you go as the body of Christ. You are going with fellow believers, with brothers and sisters united on this mission to fulfill the mission of God. He's given you his church, which Jesus loves so much. It, it should hurt when we talk bad about the church because you know how much Jesus loves the church? He says so when he's talking to husbands in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. When he tells husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
It'd be like if I came up next to you and started talking bad about your wife. I will have a black eye. I'm pretty sure. Like nobody talks about my wife that way. But yet we're allowed to be like, God, you know what? I really don't like your wife. My goodness. And he's like, hold on. I gave my life for her. That's how much I love her. You're called to be a part of that. So go and love her and bring people in to the family of God. I'm calling you to do that. Live on mission. So church, are you ready to respond to the call that God has placed on you to go and make disciples? He's commanded it. And to not do that is honestly to be like, God, I'm just going to straight up disobey you. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing what you tell me to do. I'm not doing what you have called your church to be a part of. I'm just, no. How about that? Are you praying that you have a heart for the lost that God has? That you rejoice when a lost sinner comes to repentance, as we're told in Luke chapter 15, verse 7. And then are you using your gifts and your abilities to equip yourself and others for the work of Christ? Are you building up the church or are you tearing the church down? Because it goes both ways. And in America, we're really good at doing the other. But honestly, this church, I really feel like I hear a lot of encouragement. I hear a lot of just spurring one another on, and I love that. But do we have that? Are we building up the body of Christ? And then lastly, are we being found faithful? Are we being faithful in everything that God has called us? Are we having that attitude of God? Yes. You might call me to the mission field in Africa, but tomorrow, this afternoon, he's calling you to the mission field of Southeast Kansas or Northeast Oklahoma, Southwest Missouri, wherever you're from. He's calling you to that mission field. And that mission is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that he has commanded us. And he says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Father God, I just pray that as we leave here, we see the urgency of your message. Because God, we don't know when you're coming back. It seems like it could be near. But God, even if it's a thousand years from now, God, may we have the urgency that it could be today and that there are people that we know and people that we love who have not placed their faith in you. And you have said, how are they going to hear unless someone preaches? And how are they going to preach unless they're sent? And God, you have already said that you're sending us to go and make disciples. So God, I pray that that be on our heart and that we just respond, yes, we'll go and fulfill the mission that you're calling us to. So God, we can't do it on our own. So may we have that dependence in you. Lead us as we faithfully follow. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.